Welcome to Minority, a podcast discussing different minority experiences in the UK and beyond. As a disclaimer, we may discuss some difficult topics as we are reflecting on our own personal experiences and views. We are always open to learn more, so if you'd like, please send us any resources you may feel would benefit us. And if you haven't already, please follow us on Instagram at Minority Podcast. Hi again. So today I'm here with Ellie Grattan. So if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Ellie. I'm from Manchester and I'm a bisexual white woman. I got Ellie on here just because I think it's important to find out how you feel as a white woman throughout this time because obviously the Black Lives Matter movement right now is a huge how you feel, maybe your experiences with white guilt, how you use your privilege, because Ellie is honestly the biggest ally I know. Last year, when I, because we went to university together, I would rant to her about white people all the time. <laughs> how did you educate yourself so much and become so aware of such issues? I guess until 16, the schools that I went to were extremely white they were christian schools and that obviously doesn't necessarily equate to white but in the areas i lived in it was very very white and it wasn't until i went to school in the center of manchester that i met people well girls from all sorts of backgrounds i met i had my first jewish friend my first muslim friends my first black friends my first East Asian friends, like pretty much every single minority you can think of. Um, So just by, you know, I didn't have any prejudice before. But you were ignorant, you didn't know. You didn't know. I mean, we're all equal, obviously, but we all have differences in the way that we're raised. And in minority backgrounds, culture is such a big thing. So even if you're, quote unquote, not racist, you might not know and understand different cultures yeah and also just what's not right to say and what is right to say you know yeah so yeah I just think by learning from you know going to people's houses learning from their families and just you know yeah just different British people's lives and households it's just really insightful I think can you think of anything like a moment where you were like oh they see things might see things slightly differently to me they have a different experience to me being in an all-white school you don't see the racism so you could almost think you know oh you know there's not much race racism in Britain because you don't see it but then when I actually spoke to my friends you know I remember asking my my black friends and my um, South Asian friends, you know, like, have you ever been called the N word or the P word? Um, And, you know, they've told me that they have and that they've been with, you know, white friends who have just been silent whilst they've been called it on the street. And obviously that is disgusting and, you know, not very good allyship, but, you know it's only until you hear things like because I just because I've never witnessed it myself it doesn't mean it obviously doesn't happen and even even in a place like Manchester where it is pretty multicultural Mm -hmm. you know even in the town centre you still get abused 
I mean, even on my experience, for me, it's more like ni hao all the time. And it's so annoying. Or with the recent coronavirus, it's coronavirus. I have a British Korean friend and we are actually talking about experiences in European countries. And she was saying that, you know, her mum is um, Korean and Korean's her first language. And, you know, there have been places and people have treated her mum quite disrespectfully. But when her and her sister, who have Manchester accents, have then started to speak, you know, they've noticed that they're British and Mm -hmm. have treated them differently. And then when she said that, it made me think of, I've only ever been to Europe before, you know, like with my family. So it's just always been white. I feel like with East Asians, even though we don't face the systemic racism as much, people are really hostile towards East Asians, especially if they hear them with an accent. It's just almost a kind of rudeness that you wouldn't get if you were white, obviously. And it's it's subtle. I'm, it's so subtle. You probably wouldn't even notice it if you weren't. That's the thing that you can't call out people because it's not. It's not blatant. Okay, so another question I have, because you're bisexual mm-hmm. and you are currently dating a man, uh-huh. did you actually face any backlash from anyone you know oh, for dating a man? Bi erasure mm. is huge. I think people forget that, you know, the B in LGBTQ plus is bisexual because, you know, mm-hmm. you get from straight people like my mother that you know bisexual bisexuality isn't real or it's a phase um and even from you know some bisexual people themselves which obviously is valid people do change their sexuality in their lives but it kind of just adds to the stigma that it is just some kind of experimental sexual phase or something and then also from lesbian friends i've had they've said oh, you know, you don't want to be dating a man, you want to be dating a woman, you know, ditch him for a woman and all of this. And it kind of just invalidates my feelings. It's from both sides. From the LGBT community, you should, you're not gay enough. And then obviously from straight people, homophobic straight people. I think it's so silly that people say it's a phase because you really can't help who you have feelings for. Exactly, it's... But then also there's been parts been leaning more towards women. There's almost been a part of me that, well, not part of me, but my friends who have been like, oh, you know, oh, you know, great, you're finally with a woman and you'll never go back and that kind of thing. I don't know, it's almost like then you're completely gaining, you know, the thought of being with a man is alien or something. Yeah, I feel like when I'm with a woman then that's it, I just have to be with women or, you know, I'm a lesbian. But then when I'm with a man, I could just almost hide behind the fact that I'm with a man, which is like the safer option, I don't know, more socially acceptable. So you were saying about your mum saying, oh, it's just a phase. Now you're with a man, does she just think that you're straight? When I was 17, I tried to educate her on different types of sexualities, like pansexuality and bisexuality and asexuality. And... I'd constantly talk about it because it just wouldn't go in her head, even if it would be on TV and things. And one day I was talking about it, about someone on the TV again, and she was like, are you um, bisexual or pansexual? And I said, yeah, I am. 
And then she said, no, you're not. Is that how you came out? Yeah. I actually have come out, but it's just how can you come out when they actually do not accept it or they actually can't understand the, the concept? Because you would look at you with a white white background. You'd expect your mum to be more open. The thing is, though, and, and you kind of touched on this on your previous podcast, she was raised in a, an all-girls school run by nuns, a Catholic school, and I still think that runs deep in her and obviously I'm not making excuses because you know she's lived what 30 40 years outside of that school and you know we do watch you know we watch first dates together and you see gay couples on that and she's becoming more accepting towards it because representation and exposure to things you start to kind of understand it more or just become more comfort comfortable with it and now you know we watched first dates of the day and there was a gay couple on it a gay male couple and they were kissing or something and or like it went well the dates and you know we were both kind of like oh that's cute and then she even agreed so she's trying to accept it it's just something that's been ingrained in her we talked about this and i said you know is it you know that your school and everything and she said it's not the fact that it was wrong or anything it's just the fact that it wasn't even a thing like she didn't even know what it was until she was an adult being gay but, yeah cuz she just went to a, i mean you know, ironically, she went to an all-girls school, so there's probably some things happening there, but she probably just oversaw it. Um, she said that her sixth form was mixed. She was saying that she had one male in her friendship group of all girls, and she said, you know, on reflection, he was definitely gay. But even then, she just didn't even know what that was. Whereas, you know, the girls' school, sixth form I went to, completely different I think that's probably because it's not religious I'd say 50% of the girls were openly LGBTQ plus it's so interesting that you were saying that she was in an all Catholic school yeah Catholic run by nuns but now she's dating a Muslim man so that must have been strange for her you know she's actually been really open to it she's pointed out before you know we were talking about um the Madeleine McCann case I know this is really sensitive but just an example and how well the killer might have been found or whatever and how it's ridiculous how much funding went into it and not into other missing child cases and she said to me you know that's white privilege and I was honestly so proud of her for saying that and I really think it's because she's you know experienced white privilege herself being with a British Pakistani Muslim man the house we live at the street is middle-aged no not even middle-aged we're talking pensioner age middle-class white people and they I'm not kidding yesterday they just stood on the drive and just looked at the house and we're all talking because the house is under construction and then as soon as one of us walks out they start talking to us and saying everything that's wrong with the house like oh you shouldn't build that you know you shouldn't be building this and it's like, what right do you have? Didn't they call the police? They always call the police. They call the police. It's actually harassment. Like, and I'm adamant because he's the only, you know, Muslim on the street. Living with him, are there any cultural things there that you've noticed? Things that he does differently to what you did? Or is he quite liberal? No, he's, I mean, he's not really, you know, he's more of a cultural Muslim. He doesn't really follow. I mean... Obviously, if he was actually really religious, he wouldn't even be engaged to my mum. In order for my mum to be able to live here, his mother would only allow that if they were engaged 
you know, and obviously were planning to be married. So it is kind of still a cultural thing there. And clearly that's something that your mum just accepted and has gone along with. And isn't it, he doesn't really like alcohol in the house as well. Yeah. So coming back to LGBT issues, when did you feel comfortable in your sexual identity? And when, well, you told us already how you came out and you kind of just did it. Were you ready or did you just think in the moment, I'm just going to say it? Changing schools was such a huge thing for me because it really is your peers that shape your views. And obviously going from a Christian school and obviously it's not like my mum's Catholic school. Even the most obviously gay people pretended they were straight. And it was only when I went to an all girls school, it was way more accepted. Everyone at least was friends with a gay person there. And by gay, it's an umbrella term, I mean. When everyone else was accepting, then you just obviously start to accept yours. Yeah, because before that, I was almost like denying it to myself. I was like, oh my God, Ellie, you know, this is sinful. Well, not necessarily sinful, but, you know. That's what your mum thinks. Of course, it would make sense if you thought that too. And it's just almost like, you know, you're you're just trying to not accept that part of yourself or try to think, oh, you know, other people can be gay, but, you know, that's not me. Were you ready to tell her or were you just, you just didn't want to lie? Well, I came out to my friends properly when I was 16. And then, you know, I came out to her a year later when I was 17. Um, So I was absolutely, you know, definite that that was who I was. Well, am. I suppose I was just kind of sick of lying. How did you become comfortable with it? I've been three prides now. We're just having... Before, I felt like, you know, the only person, especially, you know, at my old school, the only people who were obviously gay were boys, because I feel like it's more obvious in kind of feminine boys. Obviously, that's stereotypical. But um, but then, yeah, when I went to the girls' school, there were so many different sexualities and kind of gender expressions. Just seeing people express their sexualities in different ways made me feel way more comfortable and it was I almost kind of questioned some of my labels but it was allowed it wasn't taboo you know so at first I thought pansexual and then I changed it to queer and then I've just decided bisexual is just easier because well I think people understand that more what is the difference well pansexual is kind of the gender doesn't matter and then queer is just like an umbrella term which could just mean like the same as gay, like you're just gay, you're not straight, you're gay. Now bisexual, the definition has changed to not just, you know, attracted to two genders, it's to all genders. It almost is the same thing as pansexual now because I think they've had to change the definition of bisexual to be more fitting towards different gender identities. Do you remember when you went to your first Pride? Do I? For me, it almost was like a an angry affair anyway which is how it should be remembered as you know black trans women were the people who threw you know the first stones at stonewall it is it's a riot it's not you know a happy clappy parade for you know white gay people it's literally you know a protest um and i remember there's this kind of anti-gay christian group who go every year and just stand there and scream and shout at you 
and I remember we I was I saw them and I was just infuriated obviously as you would be um and almost you know a part of me was like you know why are they ruining this happy energy of the pride but you know in a way it should be a reminder that you know it isn't well obviously it's a happy you know pride you know you should be proud and it should be kind of a happy thing but at the same time you know you shouldn't forget that there are people who literally die for who they are who they express themselves to be um so yeah, anyway we walked past this this the you know the crowd of anti-gay people and they spy my face my experience you know as a white bi woman is completely different to black trans women you know just last week or a few weeks ago a black trans woman in america was you know found hung on a tree and you know it's not it wasn't a suicide basically by the autopsy um her surname was gully and you know that's still happening constantly um and it's a reminder that you know it's a very even in the west i'm saying that with you know quotation marks where we think we're you know liberating and accepting of gay people it's only certain types of gay people and i think we you know i saw a post i think it was a tweet the other day that was saying you know until black trans women are accepted then you know the lgbtq plus kind of um mission i guess isn't complete until they're accepted because they're the ones who we need to credit for you know having this kind of protest in the first place yeah i don't think a lot of people will know that black trans women started pride movements i think it's interesting you said um white it's not just for white men to parade around and party it's a serious movement and Mm -hmm. cultural event because I went Mm -hmm. with my friend to Manchester Pride Mm -hmm. um she's um, Pakistani and I'm obviously not Mm -hmm. white and we felt Mm -hmm. that racial tension and we kept being picked on and screamed at by these you know sassy white gay men and we and I know that the LGBT community is known for having race issues. Not even acknowledged that black trans women started pride parades in the first place. No, absolutely. Protests. It's crazy. It's something everyone should know. There's a documentary on Netflix about Martha P. Johnson. I think I think that's her middle name, hopefully, um, which is really interesting. And I think even though it was directed by a white straight man, it's still you know, very informative, you know, and she died for her cause. So we've got a lot to, you know, thank her for. In order to have a solid community, you need to be united. There's even disputes over the the new, well, I don't know, yeah, I'd call it new, flag. I don't know if you've seen the, the gay flag, but now it's got a black and brown stripe at the bottom of the rainbow because, you know, it's to remind people that, the struggles of black and brown people, if I'm allowed to say that, should be recognised. Yeah. It is a movement because so many countries, I mentioned, it was mentioned in the last podcast that in Trinidad it's illegal to be gay. So many places it's still illegal to be gay and people are hugely homophobic. Mm-hmm.
and they hide behind religion to justify it. People used to use the Bible to justify racism as well. There's some quote about a black man and you could interpret it as him being inferior and that's what they used to justify And the fact that people are like, oh, you know, it's not natural. Well, nothing is natural. Are your phones natural? Is technology natural? No. None of our food is probably natural anymore. Nothing is natural. Your boobs aren't natural, Karen. That's for sure. So... I don't know if you've noticed, but Pride is so commercialised now. All it is, is a load of um, corporations that just have floats, well, in Manchester Pride anyway, and they just, you know, go down the street and it's like pretty little thing, which, you know, are you really a representation of human rights? It's a money-grabbing event. Yeah. And then the thing is, there's the new kind of phrase called pink capitalism, which is or I think rainbow capitalism and it's where corporations when it's pride month change their logo to you know a flag and you know to show their support but really it's just you know for LGBTQ plus you know customers to carry on participating in their business. It didn't feel to me like a celebration of LGBTQ plus it just felt to me like a capital capitalist commercial event absolutely and the other thing that me and my friend were talking about the other day that was you know the nhs kind of symbol of hope is the rainbow right now and i know i noticed this i think a few months ago when um i can't remember what corporation it was but someone some corporation changed their logo to a rainbow flag and i was like oh that's so sweet you know they're showing the support for the lgbtq community And then I realised it was the NHS flag, flag. I didn't think that it was, I didn't think, I thought the, you know, the NHS thing was an actual rainbow because obviously a rainbow is different to a rainbow shape. No, it is, but they've also, I don't know if you noticed, but so many corporations changed their logo again to the same flag as what's the LGBTQ plus flag. And it's like they've almost stolen something that's so such an important symbol and just taken it you know for these straight people have just taken it and appropriated it to mean something completely different yeah you can't take a flag I get a rainbow is a, is a rainbow but that's not a flag it's a rainbow do you know what I mean so if people, if people want to argue, you know, it's a rainbow, you can't take the rainbow. If they're putting it in a flag, that's wrong because it belongs to the LGBTQ plus community. That is very big, a big movement. You can't just take it. Have a white background and an arched rainbow, that's fine. But don't take a whole flag. Yeah, no, it's just the fact that it's the same logo these corporations have used for both. And now it's Pride Month, you know, they've all put the, the rainbow flag on. But I can't even tell now if it's, you know, support for the NHS or if it's support for the Pride movement because it's just become meaningless. You've taken the identity of the LGBTQ plus community. It's just the fact that, you know, straight people or, you know, okay, maybe this is going a bit too far, I don't know, but, you know, people who have put, who have flown rainbow flags in countries where it's illegal have you know been arrested or it's been burnt and now people are just you know openly waving rainbow flags in support of the nhs and it's just like where does this come from like why is it not nhs colors or something you know why is it 
Yeah, they need to differentiate between the it's two. It's also, you know, been on buses as well. Um, and, yeah, th- I saw this post that said, over half of NHS staff don't think sexual orientation is relevant to healthcare, and one in every 14 members of NHS staff say they would feel uncomfortable working alongside a trans colleague, and yet they've just adopted, you know, the symbol of LGBTQ plus people. And even though LGBTQ plus people in you know, face discrimination in healthcare, especially trans people. I just think it's really ironic and hypocritical. Mm -hmm. It delegitimizes your movement by giving it a different meaning. Exactly. And they're also profiting off it, you know, with like NHS badges and things. Yeah, it's it's a capitalist opportunity in a way. Thank you for being in my podcast. I think we've covered everything that I wanted to. Okay, thank you for having me. Yeah. And thank you for listening, everybody. Please keep listening next week. Um, and you can follow us on Instagram at minority podcast, M I N O R T E A podcast. Bye.